1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
0: Welcome to Prodigy. I'm going to be doing some more casual episodes for the next few weeks while I research some more intricate topics. My name is Lowell Berlanti, and this is Prodigy. I'd also like to briefly mention that if you have any issues with the show, please reach out to me and I'll do everything in my power to fix it. I had a listener give me a low review because of a specific ad. I don't know what ads are playing because it's different depending on your demographic, but if you tell me, I can have the ad team make sure it never plays on my show again. You can reach me at prodigypodcast.com. For this episode, I spoke with two musicians. The first is Alex Rivers. I've mentioned Reddit a few times in this show, and that's also how I came across Alex. If you're a Redditor, there's a good chance you've seen one of his live sessions on the front page. He plays on an electric violin that changes color. Alex has been busking for seven years and is a late bloomer, so I thought he'd be a great contrast to Joshua Bell. And once again, busking is just street performing. And my other guest is Noel Brown. Noel is an executive producer and host of the shows Stuff They Don't Want You To Know and Ridiculous History. You'll also hear him frequently on Movie Crush with Chuck Bryant. He's a talented musician and was forced to learn the violin by his father at a very early age. Any music you hear during this segment is from Alex's new album. How's the live sessions been going? I've been seeing you on there nearly every day.
2: It's been going really well, but the days that I don't get it, it's very tempting for me to beat myself up. <laughs> yeah, I got featured once for uh, a video
0: of was filming my dog destroying a stuffed animal. Oh, and did that get hits? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, not anything like yours, but so you play, is it electric violin? I know it lights up. Yes, it's an electric violin. It's my lighted violin. It's like very, very eye-catching, just adding that new dimension to my performances. Before I got the lighted violin, I would dance and try to do as much more as I could to add to just music. You could see something with this. I'm sitting down. So I was like, why not add lights? Like, why not add a, a, a beautiful mural in the background like I do now? And just things that catch the eye. You got started on violin pretty late, right? How old were you? I started at like fourteen, so I'm not like a prodigy that they all like imagine me to be. I was a late bloomer with the violin, and I guess that's inspiring to a lot of people because oftentimes they're like, "Well, I'm twenty years old. Like, is it too late for me to start?" You know. So I'm kind of like that figure to them that's like, "Okay, you can like you don't have to be five years old to become good at an instrument. You just have to really love what you do." You as contrast from my
0: last guest, um, I guess before the pandemic, a professional busker.
2: Yes. A uh, very experienced busker. And um, being a busker, a lot of people think that you all you have to do is come out on the streets and sit down with an acoustic guitar and play Wonderwall for two hours and you will find success. And it doesn't go that way. You have to pick up on psychological elements that catch people's attention. There are little things that I had to research that are just as small as eye contact. Things that you learn from other buskers that are like Wear color red, wear color gold, they'll be more generous. These things apply to waiters and waitresses. When waitresses wear red lipsticks, they get tipped more. This is why restaurants use gold menus or the gold bill. And they literally do this for a reason because it makes the customers tip more. And this applies to busking. So you can learn a lot by talking to waiters and waitresses, doing things like playing outside when it's sunny. When it's sunny, people are more generous. There's been studies done on these things. They did one study where um, they had someone, just random guy, confront people on the sidewalk for a dollar. Nothing more, just can I have a dollar? And they found that on sunny days, he made a lot more than he would on cloudy days. And I've seen this to be true with my busking. So, I would like, I will pick up on these things, verify that they're true, and I'll keep doing them. And it has really helped me make money.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, with with Josh Bell, that was like a social experiment, too, to see if they put him in, I guess, not a very good time, not a very good place to see if people would stop anyway because of how good he is.
2: And they sort of didn't. A world-class violinist playing on probably one of his Stradivariuses, but I don't know, because... The Gibson. Yeah. So And then they had him play the Bach Chaconne, which is a very, very, very long piece, and it is very, very, very difficult. It's one of the most probably difficult pieces Maybe not ever, but it's just very, very hard. And people just did not stop. And this really just goes out to make a point here. And this is something that um, I've learned as a busker. Your skill as a busker will only take you so far because people as a population especially with a violin, it's easy to impress people because they see the violin as like a hard instrument, but once you hit the ceiling of like impressing people, it's very it's a very low ceiling. You could play like Taylor Swift songs or something and get the same amount of respect from people as if you played Bach Chaconne like Joshua Bell. This is why he like underperformed money-wise because people don't know the difference in skill it takes between playing some pop song from the radio and playing really demanding classical pieces. So after that you have to look to other other outlets like okay what am i wearing what time am i playing where am i playing what is my like what is my whole performance am i adding other elements am i making eye contact because the skill is not all that you need you can't just make it from that
0: Yeah no absolutely and i would have loved to see them do like a contrasting one where they put him in like a popular spot you know and had him like
2: you know do some of those different things and to see how differently he performed Right, and that really is actually the biggest thing in busking. The number number one thing. I don't know why I keep getting like chills saying this, but I really feel passionate about this. The number one thing in busking is literally location. It's it's like the biggest thing you could do. Is like pick a great location. So for Joshua Bell's project. He may not have made much there, but if they would have put him in, say, or maybe asked buskers around, like maybe there was buskers in the subway, and been like, where's like a great busking spot in this subway? Place him there. He may have made quadruple the amount of money. It just, location matters a lot. So we really can't conclude much from that one experiment, especially since I I think it was just one one hour that he played or something like that. It probably wasn't long.
0: Yeah, and they put him in a spot that, Like normally nobody plays because I guess, you know, it's probably not a very demanding. I guess the guy wanted to see if like that just his music alone was enough to stop people because it's all people, government jobs going to their normal uh, like work, you know, in the morning and stuff like
2: that. So I remember that when I watched the video, there was a lot of comments on the video that were like, well, the people didn't tip him or stop to listen because they have to be at work. They have to be somewhere it's a it's they have to catch the subway or whatever there was actually a lottery line like not far from him and they could hear him but they all seem to be ignoring him too so they would be lining up at this line not far off for like a lottery ticket thing um and he he was still getting ignored so i think personally if joshua bell would have just played catchy tunes he would have made more money I, i guess wherever i live there just hasn't been like
0: a big sort of like busking scene but I guess if you go to these popular spots like you
2: were in Vegas um, you could actually make really good money. Vegas is where I live Las Vegas and I've been performing on the strip for about seven years Um, and I can tell you that I've seen lots of people come and go lots of people come and you never see them again and I've actually gotten a lot of um, negative like kind of attitudes from other like buskers because they are say violinists they will play acoustic violin, very demanding. You know, acoustic is not like an electric violin. It's any mistake you make is just going to be like a shrill, like very like dry screech. You have to really work hard to bring out the sound. So they see me and they're like, well, you're just playing on an easy instrument and you're playing these easy songs, like these pop songs, and you're making so much more money. You don't deserve all that. And they build resentment to me because people don't see the talent it takes for them to play their pieces their classical pieces but the people will throw a bunch of money at me because what I'm playing is catchy and my violin looks cool and different and <laughs> I'm dancing <Yeah>. around. <laughs> and you're young, you asshole. <laughs> <And> I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally
0: see that. I mean, I think that happens in most industries, right?
2: Yeah, so, you know, you you have to play whatever you have to your advantage. If you're a girl, you're going to get tipped more. If you're um, young, you're going to get tipped more. If, like, you know, you have an electric violin instead of an acoustic, you're going to get tipped more because a lot of people come to me and they're like, is that an electric thing? Like, like, what kind of violin is that? It looks so otherworldly. And you have another reason for them to stop. Um, Busking is really just piling on more and more and more reasons for people to stop. And you cannot just get away with it with just being like, oh, uh, my talent will shine through. They'll respect me for all the practice I put into this. It just doesn't work that way. So
0: now that, you know, the pandemic is here now, um, I mean, right. Honestly, I was on I I took my dog to in Atlanta, we have the Beltline. It's just like a place to walk around the city and uh for like I haven't been out in forever, but I went out and I was like, you know, I'll walk her there. There won't be many people. It was freaking packed. So there's still definitely oh, wow. people going
2: out there. Um, right. have you been going out much and been still doing it? So with the pandemic going on, um of course I'm back in Vegas, my hometown and, you know, we're under lockdown and stuff, but Occasionally um I will go out and I will test the waters and you know lately it's just been so dead that I have never made less money in my life like I just I'm so shocked by it it's so empty here on the strip that whenever I go out I'll play for like two hours and I will come home with like $14 and you know normally like when the pandemic wasn't around I would at least make a few hundred dollars that would be like the average. So it definitely impacted me a lot. So I was like, what can I do besides street performing to further my like my my career? And I was like, um, why don't I just do Reddit streaming? Like I see people on top broadcasts and stuff. So I did it and that's what I'm like focusing on now is building a fan base, making my own music, writing as much as I can all the time, doing something with music every day.
0: Yeah, it seems like online is the new sort of busking, right? I mean, you've been doing YouTube, how about Twitch or anything like
2: that? Um, I've been doing Twitch as well, but the thing with Twitch is they just started this system where it's, um, they are threatening this thing called DMCA takedowns against anyone, not just musicians, but even gamers who use copyrighted music on their streams. And they have oh, wow. literally, literally systems in place that will detect if you're, say, you're playing um, like Super Mario or something or um, Grand Theft Auto, whatever if they find game music even like you will get threatened with a ban and I think on like the second and third offense like your account is just permanently oh, yeah because
0: people were streaming like UFC fights on there and stuff and they don't have a good system for moderating all that I bet when you're busking did you just rely on cash tips or did you ever have like a Venmo out there cuz I was like every time I saw like a homeless person I was like man if they had like a Venmo mm-hmm. I know obviously
2: you know that's not always feasible for them but right. it would be way easier just to donate money cuz I never carry cash on my streams, I do put my Venmo on, but street performing wise, I didn't know about Venmo yet. You know, last time I, I was oh, able sure, yeah. to use, it's pretty like new. I didn't, yeah. yeah, so I, I'm kind of slow. so I didn't really realize Venmo was a thing and people would still come up to me and be like, do you have Venmo? And I'd be like, oh, like, let me download that. And then, you know, I would get a few people here and there, but most of the time it's just cash tips. You've been working with a talented producer and uh, you guys have put together an album. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Um, So this album, it wouldn't have been possible without my great producer James. And he has literally helped me so much on just being confident and showing him everything I've been writing for the last few years. I would keep them on these little notes in my phone, these little voice recordings on iPhone. Um, I would have like, hundreds of them. I think I have like over a thousand of them and I just didn't (laughs) want to share with anyone because when no one was home, I used to just play little tunes in my head or I would even have dreams about just tunes and I would just wake up and be like, okay, I need to like play this on my violin and just record it. And I would keep it to myself and be like, well, no one's going to hear this and I'm too embarrassed to show it to anyone. But James really helped me come out of my shell. And once I did that, I was like, wow, I have some really great ideas and he has really great ideas. And he does the kind of music that I really like, which is electronic. I like blending violin with genres that you don't normally see it in. And this means that, you know, um, it's not just classical or fiddle. Those are the two things that violinists usually fall into when they take a serious career choice as a violinist. Well, I don't want to do either of those. I want to do pop music, hip hop, um, electronic, like indie, alternative kind of music that's really psychedelic. And no one's doing that right now.
0: What's one of the, your favorite songs on the
2: new album? So my favorite song on the album is um, the fifth song. Um, I saved it for last. It's called Don't Let Me Go. How our songs come about is usually James will come up with the instrumental that he brings up and I will play to it and play to it and play to it for hours until I just find parts that I like. Or sometimes I'll come up with a melody and James will write beats around that. But with this one, he made the beat and he was like, I don't know about this. It's kind of just like whatever. I mean, we kind of made a great song just before it. And you don't usually have two great songs at the same, you know, just one after the other. So when I heard it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And he's like, yeah, it's like, okay. But I made it amazing. <laughs> so, and it all came to me in like the first day, you know, some songs take like months to write. And sometimes the song just just touches you and you feel like no one else understands it. And when you really click with it, you bring it to life. And that's what I did with Don't Let Me Go because it all just sounds so good.
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm going to play it right here. Sounds like you guys have a really good partnership going on. That sounds great. I'm really
2: happy for you. Thank you so much. So what are your plans for the future? The idea is to have the full album done by June. And then um, in June, I will probably go back to traveling and finding new places to perform. Maybe New York this time. I've never been there. And um, I want to sell albums. I want to stream more and build a bigger fan base. And then hopefully, like next year... Or by next year, I'll have music videos out on YouTube that look super professional and like I'll look established, I'll have money to pay like, you know, um, dancers maybe and I want to hire like a personal like choreographer and I want to do the whole nine yards and then start touring some of my albums, meet people, travel, all that stuff.
0: I won't be the least bit surprised when I start seeing you pop up uh, all over the place, honestly.
2: I mean, it's it, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I mean, that is a dream and I will keep on chasing it. And I, I, if I don't get it, I will die trying. <laughs> That's all I have right now. That's the only thing I want. I, I don't think about anything else. Literally, I wake up. First thing I want to do is, is uh, tune up my violin and figure out what new song I'm going to write, what I need to work on, um, streaming, street performing, whatever. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. It was really nice talking with you. Mm-hmm. All right. You can
0: find Alex pretty much anywhere online with the username Alex Rivers Music. Alright, now we're gonna hear from Noel Brown. Noel is basically a legend in the podcasting industry. Him, Ben Bowen, and Matt Frederick are hosts of the conspiracy show Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, which is a personal favorite of mine. Noel is a good example of why you don't want to force your child to specialize early. His father was a classical musician and strict disciplinarian. The music you hear during this segment was made by Noel.
3: He really wanted me to be a professional musician. Um, I think my mom cared less. It was. It always felt like it was much more of like this thing that my dad. Really wanted for me, but it was I was kind of more for him. I kind of got the sense. It's hard to kind of sort it out now that he's gone. Uh, it's easy to kind of ascribe my own meaning to it, but uh, there are a lot of good things that I got from him, kind of forcing me to play the violin from really early age. From six, I started taking Suzuki violin lessons, and I was really good at it. He, but that was largely due to the fact that he was just a really stern kind of taskmaster and and forced me to practice and forced me to kind of compete in these competitions. And I took away from it uh, a love of music. I always had a love of music, but an ability to kind of play things by ear and sort of figure out how to play other instruments just from learning a pretty difficult instrument like the violin from such an early age, which is, you know, obviously a stringed instrument. And it's just, it's not really like a guitar or like a bass exactly. You play it with a bow, obviously, and there's no frets on it. So you kind of have to really know where your fingers are going and all the different positions and shifting around and reading music. And I did all of that But I kind of gave it up as soon as I was able to because I did resent it because he he literally like stand over me while I practiced and kind of berate me, you know, if I messed up and being a parent now myself, I kind of understand some of the mentality behind that. You don't want your kids to be lazy and you don't want your kids to just like half ass do things and sort of phone it in. But on the other hand, the more you shove it down their throats that way, the more not only are they not going to want to do it unless you really just go full bore. Like I'm sure some of these folks that you're talking about in your series did, um, you know, in terms of creating a prodigy that requires just the most it requires discipline on both sides. It requires discipline on the parent side to just be willing to be hated and feared that much, you know, by their their kid who is essentially their like student right i mean sure you ha- you'll you have a teacher it might not be your parent but it's your parent that's really forcing that specialization on you at such an early age and making sure you stick to it because you're not going to left to your own devices it's like a six or seven or eight year old you don't want to be practicing violin all the time you want to be like playing outside and you know playing video games or whatever kids do He would literally stand over me while I practiced, and if I messed up, he had this kind of habit of, like, he'd... I don't know, i I'd tell this story, and I, I'm probably exaggerating it in my mind a little bit, but there was one particular incident that I know took place. But, you know, he would, from time to time, kind of swat me with this violin bow if I screwed up. Or if I had a bad attitude or whatever. And as I got better, uh, you know, he bought me a nicer violin and nicer bow. And as it turns out, the bow... Makes a huge difference in the way the violin sounds like the tone because crappy bows that you'd get with like a rental violin from like a music store, are like, you know, made of fiberglass and the hair on them is some kind of synthetic hair. And, uh, you know, if you get a really nice bow, um, I remember being told about this particular bow and I think it was like, you know, it was like five or six hundred dollars just for the bow and it's made you can only get like a handful of bows out of one particular tree because they make it out of like the center of the tree and and maybe i'm misremembering that but i remember being struck by how like wow that's crazy one whole tree and you can only get like you know 15 of these tiny little bows and they're so expensive but i was blown away by how much better it made the violin sound just with a nicer bow and so he when one day we were practicing and I think he thought that he had the sh- the, the an inexpensive bow uh, and that I was playing with the nice bow, but it turns out it was the other way around. And he uh, swatted me with the expensive bow and it snapped in half. And in my head, I was just like, ha, ha, that's what you get, you bastard. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, my relationship with my dad was complicated. And it, as, as he got towards the end of his life, we sort of reconciled a lot of that stuff and sort of talked it through. We had kind of gotten past a lot of that resentment that I had towards him when I was younger because I hated him because he never let me have any fun. He always was, like, coming down on me. Like, you know, he had this uh, image to uphold, like, being a a member of this church and having that be his job, and I was just kind of rebellious and just wanted to, like, smoke cigarettes and, like, you know, do stupid stuff. And um, it's tough because on the one hand, I'm grateful that he he did force me because I'm not like I'm no prodigy. Don't get me wrong. He did not successfully create a prodigy uh, in me. But I love music. I quit the violin racket early enough where I did not ha- have it diminish my love of music. I actually got into University of Georgia for for music for violin, but I didn't go. I decided not to go because I didn't want music to become just another like job thing. You know, like a like a. You know, because I don't know, I know a lot of people that go to school for art or go to school for music and it kind of can suck the joy out of it and and make it like just, oh, it's so much theory and so much like you got to do it exactly this way. And it sort of just can take some of the magic out of it. So I ended up going to school for communications instead. uh, And I ended up, you know, very much in that field, which is great. And I still make lots of music. I'm sitting here in my home recording studio surrounded by, you know, synthesizers and guitars and I still have a vi- my violin. It's in it's in the, the closet, uh, you know, collecting dust. But I think one day I'll probably fix it up, put some new strings on it, and start using it to make some like layered, loopy, you know, ambient music or something. Because I can definitely still play. I just uh, I choose not to. <laughs> So many people that I know have parents that like listen to like cool music, like listen to, you know, Bob Dylan or turn them on to like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or something like that. And I never had that. Like my parents, music was work. Music was like their job. And so they were always listening to stuff, but it was always them studying like scores and studying, you know, technique. My dad directed this choral group in Augusta called the Augusta Choral Society so he was actually a really talented conductor as well um, but again like he's his, his professional professional like you know big time career kind of fizzled but he was beloved in our in our town in, in Augusta Georgia um, because they just weren't used to that caliber of like you know musicianship and uh, he really kind of you know he, he worked at the church but also had this choral society and it was just, you know Augusta is a weird place because there's a lot of old money there and so both my mom and my dad were kind of beloved by all these, like, you could almost call them like benefactors, like old, rich, you know, people who love classical music. It's just like, it's a thing. And um, so they would always get support from a lot of these folks in, in Augusta and, and the choral society that he directed and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I found my way to my music, quote unquote, kind of on my own. Like, I went through some really awkward stages where I listened to, like, you know, Incubus and Marilyn Manson and, you know, angsty, you know, shitty teenage music. But I, I didn't, like, have a, a a true north in terms of, like, this is the music you should be listening to. So it's kind of interesting because I definitely came by my musical taste completely honestly and completely on my own. But absolutely, they instilled a love of music in me. And my mom, more than my dad, maybe was more like, you know, uh, open to the stuff that I was getting into. Like, I would go visit her when she was singing in New York. Um, She sang with the Metropolitan Opera in New York, you know, when I was still um, a a preteen, kind of. And I went to visit her once uh, during the winter. Winter break, and uh, she took me to see Radiohead at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is like this kind of maybe a thousand person venue, probably even less. It's like a mid sized venue in Manhattan. And it was like, it was right when OK Computer had come out, and it was just, it was filmed for MTV, the show they used to do called Live at the 10 Spot. And uh, it just blew my mind. And she, you know, she liked it, too. She, she didn't know anything about it. She was like, you want to go see a concert? I know you like this this music, this rock and roll music or whatever. I'm kidding. She didn't really talk like that. But uh, she, she asked me to just pick something out from the, you know, the paper. And I like, this band seems cool because I really didn't know them very well at all. And it, that was a big moment, like, for me. It really turned the corner for me musically in terms of the kind of stuff that I was into and the kind of stuff that I would discover I was really into Smashing Pumpkins. That's the band that I got into even before this Radiohead experience. I probably saw Smashing Pumpkins uh, for the first time when I was in fifth grade. That was my big concert for Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness Tour. But um, yeah, that Radiohead thing was a good example of my mom really supporting kind of my weird quote unquote musical taste that didn't really have anything to do with uh, what they you know, were into. Did you try to get your daughter into an instrument? Yeah, we had her playing piano for a little bit. She tried violin for a little bit, but it just wasn't her thing, you know? But now she's really into, like, cosplay and doing makeup and, like, art and drawing. And she just has an intuition for that. And I can tell that that's real and that's her thing. I probably did have an intuition for music, and my parents probably saw that in me and didn't want me to squander that or whatever. For her, I don't think her intuition is as much about music. My mom, interestingly enough... Is the one who's always trying to force her into like, you know, doing music and taking lessons and oh, you got to stick with your piano lessons and you're not going to get anywhere if you don't practice. And I know all that's true. I don't want my kid to be miserable. Life's too short. And like I said, she puts so much care and effort and and, and, and attention to detail into these cosplays that she does and into these drawings that she does and into this, like, makeup that she does. Like, why can't that be her thing? That can be her thing. How is that any more or less valuable than being a musician? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to try to groom her to be a professional musician. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, honestly. It's a very difficult life. You know, whether you're in bands and constantly on the road and like trying, to you know, just getting by on like, you know, there's hardly any money and and just, you know, living meal to meal and, you know, living out of a suitcase and a tour van, you know, unless you even get to a mid-level situation of touring where maybe you're making a little money, but then you're still just constantly on the road away from your family. Um, And then if you're a classical musician, like the margins for that stuff is just so low and not, not that everything has to be about money, but it's just a very tough, you know, you have to really want it. You have to really, really want that life to be, to, 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 to commit to that. And that's just not her thing. And she loves this other thing. And I see it in her and I see her doing it on her own without having to be forced. And I'm like, go with it. Let that be your thing.
0: If you want to get in touch with me, visit ProdigyPodcast.com. I've had some listeners reach out and I really appreciate it. I'm even helping one start their own podcast. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe because I'll be back next week with another episode of Prodigy. Prodigy was created and produced by me, Lowell Berlanti. The executive producer is Tyler Klang. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.